This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. The Steelers have returned from their bye week. Labs has returned from whatever tropical paradise he was at, and I have returned from my parents' basement after the bye week <laughs> is over. But unfortunately, you're not living there anymore. Not living there anymore. I just paid a little oh. visit while we were off this weekend. Okay. okay. But Labs, it wasn't a great bye week for the Steelers because I'm looking around at the rest of the AFC North, three and zero between the three teams. Yeah, not a whole lot of good news to come out of that weekend. Uh, sitting around watching football for the Steelers. I mean. Um, you know, in in this Pittsburgh area, the two of the games, well, actually, all three of the games were on. Right. right? The Ravens, Titans, that was the early game from uh, London. And, um, you know, uh, the Ravens are not going away. They're just not. I mean, they were they were only one for six in the red zone. But, uh, you know, they, they had enough to beat the Titans. And let me just throw this in, too. Uh, back in 2022, leading up to the draft, when there was like a kind of a debate between uh, who do you pick at quarterback, um, Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis. Right. Um, <laughs> if anybody watched that game, <laughs> uh, Malik Willis took three sacks inside the 15, inside the Ravens' 15 yard line after the two minute warning when they were trying to come back. I mean, he just looked. Um, I, I don't want to assume he was confused, but he did not have a good uh, handle on what needed to be done in those particular situations. So, you know, anyway, there was that. Uh, the Bengals win. Joe Burrow looks like he's getting healthier. That is not good news. And they're heading to their bye, too, so he can get even healthier. Right. And then um, the Browns won without Deshaun Watson, and they beat – the 49ers. So, you know, the Browns defense is for real. It's really good. And that's going to be something that that's going to be a problem, uh, all season long. Um, so yeah, not a whole lot of good news from that respect, but there was one thing we could count on in all those games. What's that? Officiating stuck. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> Across the board too, not just stunk. in the AFC yes. North matchups. Oh, right. Every game I watched, every highlights I watched, um, it was in the Jets Eagles game labs, I saw a block in the back called where the Eagles player was staring at the Jets player who hit him. I, I, I was baffled. <laughs> I, uh, you know, again, I it, nothing, nothing baffles me anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, just when you think you've it can't get any worse, it does. So, you know. Well, let's get a lot better right now, and let's get to the questions of this week. Our first one comes from Donnie Brown from Van Buren, Maine, and he asks, Calvin Austin III has the kind of speed that can be dangerous on punt returns. Considering this as a rookie season for him, who had the most successful rookie season returning punts? Antonio Brown, Antoine Randall, and Rod Woodson are the most elite, as I remember. Okay, I'm, I'll start with um, – I'll start answering this by – with, with the three names that Donnie uh, provided. Uh, okay, uh, Rod, working chronologically backward, uh, Rod Woodson, his rookie season was 1987. Uh, that was only eight games because of a contract holdout. But during his rookie season, he returned 16 punts for 135 yards, an 8.4 average, uh, Not nothing special there. Uh, Antoine Randall's rookie season was 2002. He returned 37 punts for 257 yards, a 6.9 average. Nothing special there. 
Uh, Antonio Brown's rookie season was 2010. He returned 19 punts for 110 yards, really nothing, a 5.8 average, really nothing special there. Uh, you got to go back and farther back in the way back machine, you know, and so let's jump right in right now. Um, these are the two guys that I would, um, I believe could lay claim to being the Steelers most punt dynamic punt returner as a rookie. 1974, Lynn Swan. You might have heard of him. <laughs> uh, 41 punt returns for an NFL leading 577 yards and one touchdown. His average per return was 14.1. Wow. Uh, the guy I would pick, though, as the most dynamic rookie punt returning in Steelers history, Lewis Lips. 1984, 53 punt returns for an NFL leading 656 yards and one touchdown. His average per return was 12.4. Now, while 12.4 is less than 14.1, uh, my rationale for picking Lips over Swan is that uh, Lips' 656 punt return yards uh, remains the franchise's single-season record. And obviously those two guys weren't just one-trick ponies, incredible wide receivers as well. Yes. Uh, uh, Zach yes. Raves from Scottsdale, Arizona. If a team starts having trouble selling tickets or merchandise, who ends up losing money? Are there stipulations in players slash coach contracts tied to sales, or is it only the owner? Um, no, there are no stipulations um, regarding ticket sales or merchandise sales in player or coach's contracts. Um, re the revenue generated by the sale of tickets and merchandise from each of the 32 teams that money is pooled together and it goes into determining the amount of the salary cap per team for the next year. Okay. So just to kind of refresh everyone's memory here, uh, the COVID 2020 season that forced most teams to play their games in empty stadiums, which obviously impacted greatly um, the, the ticket sales revenue. Okay. So what happened then in 2021 the salary cap decreased for the first time since the system was put into place in 1993. So uh, that's that's how that uh, that's how that's impacted. So the revenue, if revenue from ticket sales and, and merchandise is the same way, um, league generated merchandise sales are pooled together and divided up 32 ways. So if uh, revenue from ticket sales and merchandise that declines. The players and owners sharing the pain equally. Dick Vocek from Portage, Pennsylvania. Who do you consider the Steelers' most traditional rival? In my opinion, it's the Browns. I've lived in Maryland, and Ravens fans think they are the greatest rival of the Steelers. Um, okay, this sounds to me a whole lot like uh, who's the MVP? Is MVP the best player on the best team? <laughs> Or is the MVP the most indispensable player on any team? So, you know me, uh, what I do for a living. So I looked it up in the dictionary, Oxford. You have a hard copy, too. So, I want people to know that. You go to the bookshelf. There's no looking it up on the internet with you. <laughs> yeah, I do have a hard copy. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I am lazy now. and The internet oh. is so much easier, especially <laughs> if I'm sitting at my laptop. Anyway, um, so... Uh, according to the dictionary, synonyms for traditional are established or long-established. 
And so based on that, the answer to the question is the Cleveland Browns because the Steelers play, have played the Browns at least twice a season from the time the franch, that franchise first joined the NFL in 1950 until Art Modell moved the franchise to Baltimore for the 1996 season. And then Steelers-Browns series resumed when Cleveland rejoined the NFL in 1999, and the teams have met at least twice a season every year since then. So, you know, that's to me, is longstanding, consistent, even in the strike years. You know, 1982, for example, a strike limited all teams to only nine games, but the Steelers played the Browns twice. I mean, they made sure that that continued. So... Um, the longest, most traditional um, arrival would be the Browns. But if you change the question to which team is the Steelers' most hated rival today, uh, then my answer would be the Baltimore Ravens. Who would you say the biggest rival is for the Steelers outside of the division? The Raiders, right? It has to be. Well, that again, that's um, you know, that's a long time. It is ago, a long time ago. But that that's a very historic. Rivalry, certainly. Um, you know, outside of the division, you don't play teams very often. That's true. That's the thing. Like you'd say uh, Cowboys, so, but you see them once every four years, if that. Right. Ex- exactly. So um, that, that's a hard – I'd have to think about that and look it up. I mean, there isn't a, a team that pops into my head outside the division currently uh, the Steelers' um, biggest rival right now. I'll take a I've got to give you got to give me a rain check on that. <laughs> Andrew Rowley from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with the NFL issuing a fine to Jalen Warren for an incident in a game against the Houston Texans that wasn't penalized. How long does the NFL have to review and issue a fine on a player slash team after a perceived offense? And what would happen to a player if he was fined after the game but wasn't on the roster by the time the punishment came out, such as being traded or cut? Okay, uh, Andrew, the uh, NFL is very efficient in this um, issuing issuance of fines. <laughs> they do it on a week-by-week basis uh, as soon as the games start. So um, it, it happens, you know, if you did something on Sunday, as an example, that the NFL uh, reviews and determines that a fine is necessary or is to be meted out, uh, you hear, you get a, FedEx or, you know, an overnight uh, letter in the mail by Thursday that says, you know, you were fined for this, this amount. Okay. And the way that works is you don't send them a check. They take the money out of your check before you even see it. Okay. So players are paid, you know, game checks. So just, let's just use an example, uh, the, uh, the Ravens game. Uh, if you, if Tom, you got fined for unsportsmanlike conduct because that's the kind of guy you are exactly. against the Ravens, uh, you would have heard on last Thursday that you were getting fined and how much, and they take that money out right now. You never see it. Now, if you want to appeal the fine, you can do that. And if the league either uh, reduces the amount of the fine based on your appeal and explanation, or in very rare cases, they rescind the fine, then you get money back. 
but it's not a situation where they trust you to send the money in. I mean, they're way slicker. <laughs> Can you than do that. this whenever you get a chance, please? Just head to the post yeah, office right. for us. Yeah. Could you imagine? You know, <laughs> we all, all the stuff in the news lately about Antonio Brown and missing child support payments and everything. Could you imagine the league trying to get money from him? <laughs> um, you know, if you're not going to pay for your kids, um, I don't imagine you're going to be real quick to send in a check to the league for your socks being up too high or whatever <laughs> some of those kinds of fines are. Yeah, I'm sure somehow, some way, he does actually owe the NFL some sort of money at some point. He just seems to owe everybody money right now in this well, part again, of his life. I don't think he would owe the NFL in it because <laughs> they, they take it, it before you get it. Yep, they get it up front. Joshua Johnston from Sydney, Australia asks, what is the Steelers' philosophy for not having the captain's patch on their jerseys? Okay, um, the Steelers uh, underwent a jersey redesign uh, that was implemented for the 1997 season, okay? And that's when the the team, the franchise, decided uh, to go away from the block numbers to the more rounded numbers. And then also part of that jersey redesign was putting the Steeler logo patch on the front. Okay, now this was before the Captain C on the front was a thing. Okay, so then when that became a thing, um, the Steelers were given the option to put the C on or not. But because they already had the logo on, uh, Dan Rooney made the decision that, you know, we don't want to look like a NASCAR driver (laughs) and have all that stuff. He didn't say that. I mean, I'm just... being a smart aleck. Um, but he decided that there was enough stuff on the front of the jersey. We don't want to see. Uh, the NFL said okay because, again, the jersey had been designed before this Captain C thing came on. So um, the Steelers opted for the less cluttered version. Uh, the NFL said okay, that's, a, that's okay with us. Addison Noss from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I was at the game against the Ravens at Akershire Stadium. There were so many obvious penalty flags that should have been thrown but weren't. Is there a rock-solid reason that the refs didn't call it, or was it just because they were blind? It might really just be because they were blind, Addison. (laughs) Um, You know, there's a reason. I wouldn't call it rock-solid, though. But um, the crew that worked that game was assigned to work that game. Um, And the way crews are referred to is – by the name of the referee. You know, the referee's the guy with the white hat. Right. And, okay, the referee in that game was Carl Cheffers. Okay, so the Carl Cheffers crew is known throughout the league as one that doesn't call a lot of penalties. It just doesn't. And here's, I got some statistics to back that up. Okay, I found four games in 2023 so far um, that Cheffers crew worked. Okay. In those four games total combined, they've only called seven offensive holding penalties, so that's less than two a game, three defensive holding penalties, one offensive pass interference, one defensive pass (laughs) interference, one delay of game, one unsportsmanlike conduct, and one roughing the passer. So Carl likes to let him play. Yes. So um, that can be good sometimes. But I also believe, especially in the case of Carl Cheffers, who has 
again, he has this established this reputation, his group. I think teams know. I mean, because mm, <laughs> some of those holding penalties. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it it was. I thought I agree with uh, Addison. I mean, some were very blatant. Um, and they don't get called. They they don't do that. So um, you know, my only advice would be next time you're going to going to play a game with Carl Cheffers as the referee, <laughs> uh, buddy. Um, hold all you, excuse me, hold all you want. You might get called for it once or twice, but you're going to get called for it too many times. Kim York from Warren, Pennsylvania. Does the Steelers GM have any say in hiring an offensive consultant, or is it up to Coach Mike Tomlin to hire or fire at that position? Um, based on the Steelers' business model, uh, the general manager now nor ever had any unilateral authority over the coaching staff. So um, to put names to this, <clears throat> Omar Khan, if he was asked by Mike Tomlin, uh, might offer an opinion. So I don't know if you would call that having a say, but he doesn't walk, Omar Khan doesn't walk into Mike Tomlin's hmm. office and tell him, I hired an offensive consultant for you, or I fired your whatever coach. That doesn't work that way. Never has. Um, I won't say never will, but it never has. And our final question comes from Clark Arnold from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Do officiating errors, such as Minka Fitzpatrick's roughing the passer penalty on Jimmy Garoppolo in the game in Las Vegas, result in the offending official receiving any punitive actions? Yes, that official has to uh, is sentenced to one month of doing asked and answered, uh, both written. <laughs> That's and cruel podcast. and unusual. I don't. I would appeal that if I were the refs. <laughs> um, no, seriously. Uh, to answer the question seriously, uh, officials are graded weekly on their performances, um, and then those grades are factored into the assignment of postseason games, and postseason games are awarded to the officials with the best highest grades. So uh, if you get if you're an official and you get an, a postseason assignment, that's not only extra pay, but it's higher pay. Uh, I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm just going to throw a couple out just to, for the purpose of this explanation. Let's say uh, a referee makes a thousand dollars for a regular season game. you know he might make 1500 for a wild card game. Uh, 2000 for a divisional round game, 3000 for a conference championship game and 5000 for the Super Bowl just as examples. So uh, there's there are monetary awards for uh, in terms of additional assignments for uh, good performances, high grades over the course of the regular season. Uh, the other officials who do not have high grades do not get these assignments and of course um, none of these grades are ever made public or the reviews of the performances of these individual officials. So you can kind of figure it out if you, you know, you're keeping a scorecard, if you're really a, a, an official um, <laughs> nut, you know, who's who's the line judge in this playoff game and who's the back, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can figure out who had high grades, but um, you're not going to hear about the ones who didn't, you'll have to do it by process of elimination. Steelers take a trip to the West Coast this Sunday to take on the 3-3 three three Los Angeles Rams Super Bowl fourteen rematch. How could we forget that? 
And hopefully the Steelers will stack another win and improve to four and two. That'll do it for us today. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Opferman. Get your questions into labs now, and you might just hear them read and answered on a future edition of Asked and Answered.